nice Bill O'Dell and I'm a drunk. Uh, I just, I'm, I think all everybody in here already knows my sobriety date is 4-26-91. But I, uh, my first AA meeting was in the spring of 75. So I didn't catch on to this program right away. I was, I was going on to this one website I know of. It's a step12.com, and they have a sobriety calculator there, and I was going to look up to see how many days I had but catching this cold that I didn't do it. I know it's 7,000 something, but that doesn't matter. It's just today that counts, but it's kind of fun to look at that kind of stuff, you know. But when I first came into AA, I, I didn't want to quit drinking. I just wanted to quit drinking for a while because I, my wife had filed for divorce and got a restraining order against me. I didn't want to go out and do something, get drunk and do something stupid and end up in jail. <laughs> and when I got her out of my system, I started drinking again. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let me back up just a little tiny bit there. See, she filed for divorce. When she filed for divorce on me, I was in a mental hospital. When she filed for divorce, the sheriff served the, the divorce papers to me at the mental Eastern State Hospital in Medical Lake, Washington, because I'd, I'd gone in there because I'd, I was all burnt out. I was going to school and, and drinking and dropping a bunch of speed to function at school, and I just couldn't handle it any longer. I had a breakdown. It was easier to consider myself being crazy than it was <laughs> being drunk. You know, I was drunk. So I, uh, I put myself in the mental hospital. And she filed for divorce while I was there, and after I got out of the mental hospital a couple of weeks later with a great big bottle of Thorazine, yeah, I mean a big bottle of thorn. <laughs> Boy, that state really liked to give that stuff away back in the seventies. Right. But uh, it took me a long time to admit that my life was unmanageable. I knew my drinking was unmanageable. You know, when I was an alcoholic, my drinking was unmanageable. But I always had a job. I had to have a job so I could drink. <laughs> And, uh, but, uh, but it took me a long time to uh, admit that my life was unmanageable. And this, this last time, see, let me back up a little bit. I, I got my first DWI on my 21st birthday. Yeah. Now, back then it was 0.1, and I blew a 0.11. You think the damn cop would give me a break on your 21st birthday when I had a block away from home on my way home? Nah. But, um, uh, <coughs> and then, uh, well, I, I called a friend of mine up last week or week before last, Tommy Dolan, Yakima. He was, he came over to Ephrata and was a speaker for us in September. And while he was speaking, he was he stood up, and his fly was open the whole time he was speaking. So I was just checking, make he told me to check and make sure my fly was shut. 
<laughs> Even though I'm sitting down, I thought I'd still check. But, uh, me to speak out here, Ruth, said, Ruth asked me, well, would it be more comfortable for you if I didn't go? I said, Christ, we've been together 18 years. It's about time you hear my story. <laughs> and when I told Tommy D about it, he said, well, you might want to give the condensed version on, on some areas. <laughs> you know, because I, I did some things I wasn't real proud of as a teenager to get my alcohol. And I'll just leave it at that, but uh, yeah. I started drinking when I was 13. I was in re reform school before I turned 14. Would I have ended up in reform school if I hadn't started drinking? I don't know. But uh, that very first time I got drunk when I was 13 years old, I met my new best friend. That, that alcohol made me feel a way I'd never felt before in my life. It made me feel happy, joyous, and free. <laughs> and I spent the next 30 years trying to find that happy, joyous, and free feeling again. And uh, in 70. Six. I got another DUI, and I just paid for that one. They weren't that, that bad back then, you know, 500 bucks or something like that. Then in 77, I got pulled over one night by the city of Walla Walla for a DUI, and the next night I got pulled over by Walla Walla County. And the deputy sheriff, the second night, he says, well, Bill, have you ever had a DUI before? And I says, yeah. He said, when? And I says, last night. <laughs> He said, you're drunk again? I said, no, I'm still drunk. Because <laughs> then you didn't have to do your night in jail. I don't know if you'd have to do that down here in Arizona. Now Washington, if you get picked up a DUI, you're, you do a night in jail, period. But then you didn't have to do that. And uh, old Pete Lewis, with that deputy sheriff's name, he says, Bill, have you ever thought you might have a problem with with alcohol, and I said, yeah, I've kind of thought about it. And that's the first time I petitioned the court to go deferred prosecution. I went to a treatment center. And I didn't drink for at least by 11 months. But I got, I got out of that treatment center, and I got to feeling good, and got healthy. And uh, didn't think I needed those meetings anymore because I, and I hadn't worked as test well in the treatment center. We did the first five steps. I figured I didn't have to mess with them anymore. You know, it wasn't a real fourth step or a real fifth step, just enough to keep the counselors happy and the court happy. But this last time in 90, 91, I, uh, I'd lost everything. I'd lost my job. My alcoholic wife 
got a DUI and went deferred prosecution, and she decided she could not live with, with somebody that was still drinking. So we split up. My boss told me I had a problem with alcohol and I was going through a divorce. I was just a bomb waiting to go off and it wasn't going to happen there. <coughs> so he tried to fire me. Well, fortunately, I belonged to a pretty good union and the company ended up giving me $10,000 to resign because they didn't have any reason to fire me. And, uh, and that just enabled me to stay drunk for a year. And uh, I got so sick and so tired and so desperate. I, uh, during that year, I tried to take my life three different times with, with drugs. You know, I'd go to the doctor because I have a flu or something or decongestants. I took a whole bottle of decongestants one time and I was laying there in bed and I felt every time the thing went through my heart up to my brain I said well this is going to be it and it, it didn't work that way well that was an experience I took over 100 crosstops one night all that did was keep me up for about four days but uh, then the last time I woke up on the living room floor in this two hundred two thousand dollar trailer house I'd bought and uh, I had a plastic bag duct taped around my neck and it was just me and the cat in that trailer house I don't think the cat did it I said God I can't do this please help me quit drinking and I didn't drink for three days longest time in over a year that I'd gone without alcohol and and the third day, I had a job interview up in Quincy, about 150 miles away from there the next day. So naturally, I'm an alcoholic, so I went out and got drunk the night before my job interview <laughs> and ended up in jail with the blue lights behind me. And uh, it was really funny. That cop that night, he said, told me, Mr. O'Dell, you're the nicest drunk I've ever met. Because I thanked him for stopping me. You know, I just just wanted God to take the compulsion to drink away. I didn't want to have to do all that other stuff. Because I I knew AA worked, but I also knew that I wasn't willing to work AA in the past. But this time... I had to or I wasn't going to live, and I knew that. I was just, you know, I was just fortunate if God gave me a whole bunch of chances. But after I, when I, I, uh, I'd gone, this is my third time going to deferred prosecution. I got another DUI in 82. 82, and I went deferred outpatient program then. Then in 91, I went deferred prosecution for the third time to another treatment center. And I was so used to doing that, I petitioned the court myself. I didn't even get a lawyer. I just wrote out the papers and gave it to the judge, and he signed it, and I went. I found me a treatment center. And 
through the community alcohol center, that, but this young punk kid there at the community alcohol center in Walla Walla recommended that I go to a, a Salvation Army treatment center in Boise, Idaho for six months because I was duly addicted. Because in the questionnaire, he'd asked me when was the last time I smoked pot, and I said, well, I smoked pot about two weeks ago. The first time in over a year I'd smoked pot. I ran into a buddy that had some pots I blew a little pot with him. So he put me down as being dual addicted, and, and, uh, and I'm not dual addicted, you know. <clears throat> I went and talked to, I knew just about everybody in that community alcohol center had been in and out there so many times. I went and talked to the director. He recommended I check into this other treatment center up in Spokane. I went to it. Uh, I got a sponsor before I ever left because I had to wait about a month to go. But now I got out. I got out of the treatment just a, the day before my 43rd birthday. Uh, but while I was gone to the treatment center, my sponsor started dating my ex-wife. <laughs> well, Lee. You know, I like you, but I don't think this is a good idea. <laughs> you know, and I don't blame you for dating her, but I just don't. <laughs> I don't think you can be my sponsor anymore. Yeah. And just shortly after that, I moved up to Quincy because I did get that job. I went and applied for the the day I got out of jail. I, I went out and applied for the job. Then when I got home a couple of days later, I had to call the boss up and said, Bruce, I got a little problem. I got a DUI, and I have to go to an alcohol treatment center before I come to work for you. Yeah, well, I heard through the grapevine you had a little problem with alcohol, so you go get that taken care of, and you'll have a job. And when you're, when you're done with that, so, so that's what I did. But um, but now I moved up to up to uh, Silk Lake, which is close to Quincy. I worked in Quincy and lived in Silk Lake, and, and I just worked and went to meetings. Went to meetings and worked. The only people I knew up there was the people I worked with and people in AA, <laughs> and I didn't really get. And everybody I worked with was a, was a boozer, you know. I'm not saying they were, you know. They drank a lot, so I really didn't feel comfortable being around them. So I spent a lot of time going to AA meetings. And, and then my, it's funny, my son moved up, up from Vegas to Moses Lake in 94, and we'd be walking down the street. And I say hi to somebody. You know, he says, "Where do you know them from?" Yeah. I said, Where do you think? Yeah. Well, it's a it's a woman, so I don't think you know her from work. Yeah. You know that. Was, <coughs> but uh, then I met Ruth in '94. I just celebrated my third birthday, a birthday. Well, a month before that, a month before I met Ruth, and I, 
when Ruth, when I asked her to move in with me, I told her the smartest thing she ever do if I'd walk in the front door with a six pack of beer, she'd walk out the door with a suitcase. <laughs> yeah, I kind of think she might do that. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to take the chance, but but that's that's enough about my drinking because I I'm sure there's you know, a person in this room that didn't know how to drink. But it's that other part, like learning to, to live life without that alcohol, without that stimulant in my system. I, that was totally foreign to me. Now here I was, 43 years old, with a, and they say, you know, I, I, I truly believe that you don't mentally grow, you know, emotionally grow once you become, you know, a heavy drinker. Or an alcoholic, I don't, because you don't. You, I hid everything in that in that alcohol. I hit. I suppressed all my feelings. You know. Uh, out outwardly, I was a pleasant person. If I had some alcohol in me, I, I used to sell encyclopedias. And I did pretty good at it. Matter of fact, I trained people to sell encyclopedias. But the first thing I did when I got up in the morning was go to the liquor store and buy me a fifth of vodka <laughs> and drink about half of it. So my tongue would loosen up so I could teach people how to sell encyclopedias and so I could sell encyclopedias. And then when I, when I was done for the day, I'd finish, finish off the bottle of vodka. <laughs> but I, I probably couldn't have sold a single seven encyclopedias without that alcohol in me. Because I didn't know how to function. But, <clears throat> but after I, I got serious about working the steps and doing whatever it took, and admitting to myself that my life was unmanageable the way it was, and came to believe in a higher power. <coughs> you know, and God could restore me to sanity. You know, and that's you know, you know, working these tests. But there for several years after. I was sober for a while. There were several years. I, I went to very few meetings. <laughs> the, way, the way I worked, and my health was getting poor, and the hours I worked, I just, the meetings weren't until 8 o'clock, and I was in bed at 7.30 because I had to get up at 4. <laughs> you know, so I, I went to very few meetings. But during that period of time, my big book, and my 12 by 12, and my daily reflections, and, and as Bill sees it, and eye opener, 24-hour book, were on the end table beside my chair. I didn't pick them up every day, but boy, <coughs> Ruth could tell when I had a bad day at work, because first thing I'd come in, I'd, I'd come in and go sit in my chair and grab one of those books and start reading it. <laughs> and I had a Half hour, or well, half hour, 45 minute drive to work in the mornings. And up there, I'd see three or four cars on my way to work in the morning. In a 20, 25 mile an hour drive, I'd see three or four cars. And that's when I did my prayer and my meditation. 
I did shoot past my <coughs> the road I was supposed to turn on a couple of times. But but that was my quiet time in the morning as well on my way to work. And on the way home I used it to thank him and I heard down here last year at one of the speaker meetings in there, Avondale, you know, about prayer. He says, you know, even if all you can do is say please in the morning and thank you at night. That's the beginning. You know, uh, that's kind of the way I was in the beginning. Uh, I like to use the saying, you know, I came, I came to, I came to believe. You know, and, uh, I know. Without this program, I would I would not have Ruth. You know, I would have never met Ruth. At least not for very long. If I would have ever met her, and uh, I wouldn't be down here because I wouldn't wouldn't have had a job to make the money to buy a, mo <laughs> a motor home <laughs> to come down here. Well, I I know I would have been dead a long time ago. As many times as I. As I tried to take my life, I'm just glad I didn't have a gun in those periods. And I, but that's another story I'm not going to dwell on tonight. <laughs> well, I didn't have a gun. But um, this, and I like to tell the new people, you know, don't leave before the miracle happens. Because it's... There is a miracle that happens in these rooms. I like that they're Avondale on their podium. They got, you know, you know I am a miracle on their speaker podium there. The fellowship all on Avondale. I like that. But, um, I know I didn't spend a whole hour talking tonight, but with this damn cold I've got, I'm going to call it quits early. Thank you for letting me share. And I hope... Someone got a little bit out of this besides me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.